This is an ABC podcast. The transfer can be one adventurous undertaking. You never know what you're going to walk into. You actually get to go into their home a moment. You get to look at the photos on the wall. You see their furniture. You can smell their cologne on their linen when you're transferring them from their bed onto the stretcher. And in that moment, they become a person again to you. And it also helps you prepare them the best way as well, because in the photos you can see how they wore their hair or how they wore their clothes, the makeup they wore. So I really paint a picture in my mind to take back to the mortuary with me. I'm Elizabeth Coolass. Welcome to Days Like These. Today we bring you a story from our lead reporter, Pat Abud. Pat, you've been working away in lockdown from your home in Sydney. What have you got for us today? Yeah, Ellie, like a lot of people in lockdown, I guess I feel this sort of nameless anxiety about the world right now. And, you know, I've spent a lot of time at night when I probably should be sleeping just endlessly scrolling online. And one thing I noticed is that there are so many blogs and diaries from people working in the death care or funeral industry about how they're dealing with this pandemic. I got so sucked into the mystery surrounding how we deal with the dead and ended up striking up a chat with a young mortician and funeral director. The more we spoke, the deeper we went. And after a few weeks of this, she revealed she'd been holding on to a huge secret living this very unexpected double life. I'm getting this feeling that she's a spy slash death care worker. Am I on the right track? Oh, it's so far away from being a spy, but just as intriguing. (laughs) Okay, so where does this adventure start? So she's out on the road late at night. A mysterious mortician has just collected a deceased person from a family who's lost a loved one. And she's in a hearse. On the way back to the mortuary, with a dead body in the back. There is so much mystery with the dead. And now during the pandemic, I really feel like that death is now suddenly at the forefront of the mind. It has amplified the mystery. And because we're not allowed to talk about it, the general public don't really know what goes on behind mortuary doors. Oh, if only you knew, if only you knew how amazing it really was. You know, take that, take that stigma away from death. I believe that death enriches life. When you take a moment and consider your own mortality, it makes your life so much more vibrant. You know it's going to end, so make this day count. 
Emma Jane Holmes is not your average funeral director. I've got the fake boobs, I've got the pink lipstick, I've got the bleached blonde hair extensions. I love getting the eyelashes done. I don't mind a bit of neon on the nails. But I'd pull the hair back or flatten the boobs when I'm in the hearse. <laughs> Doesn't really work, but I try my best. 37-year-old Emma came into my life in a moment when all I could think about was death. The first COVID lockdown in Sydney didn't really faze me. I didn't love lockdown, I admit, but it felt like a sort of necessary inconvenience more than anything. But now, this second time around, my mood is different. Maybe because I thought it was pretty much over, but with the daily climb in cases, I find myself actually thinking, can this thing kill me? Can it kill my family? I spend a lot of nights under a blanket with a box of cheesels for comfort, trying to ward off this anxiety that so many of my friends are feeling too. On Zoom calls, we all have this kind of look that we're trying to keep it together, stay cheerful, but no one's baking bread this time or doing lockdown projects. We all just look tired and distracted. And if you look at someone closely enough, you see fear. I see it in faces at funerals, the look of terror on people's faces when their loved one is being lowered into the earth or be about to be cremated. People become mortified and terrified of death. So it has always been there. But the pandemic has been a daily reminder with the death toll constantly on the radio, on your news feeds. It's a war of sorts and there's death all day, every day. And suddenly people are faced with it and they, they're losing their minds. And I was starting to lose my mind a little until Emma started to take me deeper inside hers. I'm perhaps not as frightened or anxious because I've seen some pretty full-on things in my time. I've been to car accidents, I've been to suicides, I've been to murders. So this is actually just my world magnified. So I feel like I'm actually quite lucky to have had those experiences because I'm able to stay a little bit more balanced through this chaos. Unexpectedly, a woman steeped in death is the antidote to my existential COVID-19 dread. I meet her online through a blog called The Death Dialogues Project. As we talk more, she tells me more about her work and I can feel my anxiety lighten. It's like she's guiding me out of my perpetual state of worry. And she becomes this opening into the death industry, which for most of us is hidden. I can't meet Emma in person because of COVID restrictions, but she's agreed to give me a virtual tour of a mortuary and she's recording herself. So what I'm seeing is we've just come through large metal sliding doors. It looks pretty lifeless in there and I imagine very cold. Yeah. Beige walls, fluoro lighting, and I'm looking at a wall of, is that large metal doors with sort of three tiers of shelves? Um, that's obviously where the bodies are stored. Yeah, that's right. There's a shiny stainless steel table the size of a body with sinks nearby and a whole lot of strange-looking tools. Yeah, yeah. Emma, can I just get you to hold the mic a little closer to your mouth? Yep, that's it. Great. 
So what's your favourite tool? Do you have a favourite? My favourite tool in the mortuary is actually called an aneurysm hook and this has a lovely smooth curved end and I use this beneath the eyelid. It's quite smooth so it's not going to damage any of the tissue and this helps me insert the eye cap but it's also great for when I'm doing the mouth suture so I can just put the lips into place so everybody has what we call a wet line on our lips and that just shows where our lips sat when we were alive. So I use the aneurysm hook to, to move the lips to where they should be, to where they were when that person was smiling, when they were still alive. So can you describe that tool you're reaching for? The trocar. The trocar is like a spear. The trocar actually sucks our, in, our innards dry. When you do pass away, sometimes our belly will inflate and that's due to all the gases accumulating in, in the body and we cannot dress the dead while they have that big belly. I make a very small incision above the belly button and we insert the trocar. And it's also really a great way to ensure that the body is nice and clean and smelling lovely for their final day on earth. That phrase sucks the innards dry. It's a lot, I know but it's all part of Emma giving someone dignity to make them feel like themselves, even in death. As Emma leaves the mortuary to go into the more relaxed parlour, decked out with red velour lounges and lace curtains, she tells me she has eight bodies to work with today. Thankfully, none of them are COVID deaths. She hasn't had one yet and hopes she doesn't. So Emma, I guess I want to understand why somebody wants to spend their days around dead bodies. I was oddly always drawn to keeping the dead company and that started when I was a little girl growing up on a farm on the mid-north coast. I had many pets pass away. I would be riding my bike in the paddocks and I would see a dead animal in the grass and for some very unusual reason I felt compelled to help them. Always had to climb off my bike and make a grave and bury them and I would always visit their place of rest and ensure that they weren't alone. When my own pets died I would hold a funeral for them and then I remember in class we had a careers day and I'd just seen the movie My Girl and it's about a young girl who grows up in a funeral home I loved it. So I put my hand up and said, I want to be a mortician. And it went dead quiet. I was told all my my whole life, you're so weird. Why, why do you, you have such a weird fascination with death? And maybe I did, but I'm so grateful for it because I wouldn't have the life that I have now. Absolutely. And people still think I'm weird. People still often call me woo-woo. The Emma I've come to know is not at all. Everything she does feels deeply practical and empathetic. She hangs up the video call to go back inside the mortuary to start work on her first body for the day. But she's still recording herself. Well, first I cross-check the paperwork with the wrist tag and then I can begin preparing the body. Um, I start by bathing them on the mortuary table with warm soapy water and this is to ensure the body is clean but it's also the time to break down some of that nasty rigor mortis by gently massaging the joints of the fingers. 
and this action makes the body appear softer and bathing the body is also an act of dignity. Contrary to what movies depict, the eyes actually remain partially open in death and the jaw is quite slackened. So I need to remedy that. So I tuck some eye caps beneath the eyelids. Now this bendy oval shaped piece of plastic keeps the eyes closed. So I just slip that under the eyelid. And then I need to suture the mouth closed by hand and surgical needle. And then we dress. Put on the makeup, fix the hair, shave, trim. But if somebody had passed away due to a suicide or an accident, there is a lot more work to be involved. And I'll be doing that eight or nine times a day, depending on how many people had passed away the evening before. When Emma comes back into the parlour, it feels surreal knowing she's been hanging out with a lifeless body for the past couple of hours. But she hasn't always been so comfortable around the dead. I was only 20 years old when I entered the funeral industry and the very first time I saw a dead body shocked me. So I was quite shocked at how afraid I was. I was very frightened at first. I could not be alone with a dead body the late night transfers, I could not even be alone in the car with the dead body, so I was actually quite taken aback at how scared I was. But slowly I got used to the dead. I found it quite peaceful. And every day I just learnt more and more. Emma, you've seen so much loss. Is there a death experience that you've found hard to shake? Very much so. I have quite a lot. You are entering the home of grief. You walk in and it is thick in the air. There's baby photos on the wall. You can still smell that baby formula. You know, that smell from the bottle that they put in the microwave. You can still smell that, that real newborn smell. And you can also smell death. And you know that it's the baby that has passed and it's just so heartbreaking. You're sitting in their kitchen just listening to them cry in the lounge room, cradling their baby, and you just know it's going to be time soon to take that newborn from their arms, and I've done that several times. I've had to lift babies from mother's arms. That's always really hard because the parents are just so lost. Um, and they're asking you the questions, why, why, or why did this happen to me? And I just don't have the answers, but I've got to make them feel like I do. It takes so much strength not to break down yourself, but you know that you have to be the epitome of strength. They're handing their baby over to you, so you have to make them feel safe. And that's just a massive a privilege that I will carry to my own grave. The thing that shocked me the most was how much care funeral directors do put into their work. Um, my colleagues missed out on Christmas. They missed out on birthdays. They missed out on early nights at home, dinner with the kids. I could not believe how much effort and how much time the team put into their job. After years in funeral homes, working with the dead took a toll on life for Emma too. Like her colleagues, 
She put in long hours. The work is draining and complex. You call at people's homes and collect their loved ones. You organise reams of paperwork, talk with grieving families about funeral options. You see tiny bodies, old bodies, injured bodies. You deal with the grief and fear and anger of strangers without ever reacting to it or expressing anything but quiet empathy. You're quietly going about your business so the grieving don't have to. And you do it day after day after day. Emma was burnt out and her marriage broke down. Emma found herself stripped of savings, struggling to survive. When I did find myself in a really uncomfortable financial position due to a not-so-great divorce. I slowly clawed my way out of that deep trench hole that I was found, you know, that I found myself in. So I was um, a lap dancer. So in the evenings, I would strip off those scrubs, step out of the suit, And then I would get into a lacy number and then I'd strip that off for cash on people's laps, in men's laps. So I worked in many gentlemen's clubs. I did work at some establishments that would be classed as just a strip club, uh, which they were actually my favourite. Celebrities would come in and spend top dollar on the showgirls that were performing on stage. So I was really lucky that I got to experience all the different facets of the adult industry from the massage parlours that had a pole in the waiting room. I would get booked to come in and do a a performance while the guys were waiting um, at the bordello for the girls. And then I would find myself dancing in a five-star establishment. Emma continued working as a funeral director by day while stripping most nights. And somehow, she kept that double life a secret. Nobody knew. So during the day, I was the plain Jane funeral director. Well, I tried to be the plain Jane funeral director, but my showgirl kind of started to bleed into the death industry. For the beginning, I don't think I slept for six months. Um, I was working long hours and there were some times when I would even be on call at the strip club and at the back of my mind, I would just pray that phone did not ring and sometimes it did. So I would be out of those sequins and into my suit and running off to collect the dead in the dead of the night. I remember one day I slept through the alarm and I raced to work with my stripper makeup on. So it was, it became quite hard to, you know, keep those two lives separate, but I did my very best, but it was exhausting. At the funeral home, she was Emma Jane. In the clubs, she was Madison. For me, it was the ultimate therapy because when I was on stage I forgot about all the troubles in my life. I forgot about the dead that needed my attention. I forgot about the bills. All I cared about was well that I wasn't going to trip over. And then they start shouting your name and you think oh wow these people are here to see me and it was such an adrenaline rush. So while my garter was full of money so was my heart. My heart was just so full because I was on stage performing. The more I worked in both the death and the sex industry, I realised how similar they are. So 
Firstly, there's a stigma attached to both, a massive dark stigma. And there's so much theatre in both. When I say theatre, I don't mean the funeral directors don't care for one moment. However, for example, if we are doing eight funerals in one day, um, there is an element of theatre there. Um, and we have got our shiny shoes on and we've got that compassionate look on our faces while sometimes we're worrying about what's going on back at the funeral home and the same thing happens when you're in a lap dance, for example. You know, the guy thinks that your whole attention is on them but I'm really just wondering about the kebab I really want at 5am. I need the crutch of death and sex, I think, to breathe. It feels like Emma's learned to build this sort of armour to protect herself from the endless barrage of grief that comes with working in funeral homes. But that armour, it had a chink. Something did happen at the strip club that made me step back a little bit. And my beautiful dancer friend, who I grew very close to, she passed away and suddenly my two careers had clashed So suddenly I was at her funeral. So suddenly I was no longer the funeral director. I was a mourner at the funeral of my friend. So I needed to step back. I knew what goes on behind the scenes and I know the paperwork involved and I know what is involved in a case that is a coronial inquest and it's never been solved. So it's actually still an ongoing journey for me because I still don't know what happened. Um, so I think maybe once I regain gain some closure, I might be able to slip back into the stilettos and I'll be able to dance in her legacy and just, yeah, spend some time on rebuilding myself a little bit. Time to take a break. When you are looking down into the faces of the dead, you realise this is going to be me one day. I've learnt how short life is, so I am going to live each day as if it's my last And I actually still do that every single day. That is quite the ride. How is your existential crisis going now? Oh, gosh. Well, meeting Emma really did something for me. I mean, our distance relationship sort of gave me, you know, this deep insight into the afterlife. It answered so many of those irrational questions that were circling my mind. And it's actually really confronting when you realise your mind is actually, you know, it's playing tricks on you and, and you get sucked into this vortex of uncertainty. Thankfully, Ellie, I'm over that, and that's in great part to getting to know Emma. And where is Emma now? Is she still working in the death care industry? She's actually taking a break from both of her very taboo worlds. Madison, as she calls her uh, uh, showgirl persona, is off stage for now, and Emma, as a funeral director, is sort of no longer either. She's exited the funeral industry for a little bit, And that's because she's used this time to write a book about her incredible life. It's called The Last Dance. You can get it at most bookshops. And you can follow her on Insta at Heels and Hearses. It was such a pleasure getting to know her. And speaking of Instagram, if you've got a story from your life that you think we should know about, you can find me on Instagram or Twitter. I'm at Elizabeth Coolass. 
or you can email us, dayslikethese at abc.net.au. You never know, it might end up on the show. We're taking a short break to work on some new stories, but look out for season five dropping into this feed very, very soon. In the meantime, follow Days Like These on the ABC Listen app or wherever you listen. We've got a great back catalogue of stories for you to binge on while you wait for the new stuff. Days Like These is hosted by me, Elizabeth Kulas. Padabud is our lead reporter. Sound design for this episode by Padabud and Angie Grant. The supervising producer for this episode is Tom Wright. And our brilliant executive producers are Rachel Fountain, Sophie Townsend and Ian Walker. Our theme song is Yena by the Gooch Palms, courtesy of Ratbag Records and BMG. Catch you soon. While you're waiting the few weeks for the next episodes of Days Like These to drop into your feed, why not take a listen to another great ABC podcast like this one, The Pineapple Project with host Nazim Hussain. Hi, I'm Nazim Hussain. I'm a comedian, so naturally, I'm really good with money. I'm also the new host of The Pineapple Project, a new series of the podcast all about making life sweeter. This season, we're on a mission to make you rich. Well, richer. We're not going to tell you how to play the share market or start a multi-level marketing scheme selling you, I don't know, Nazim Hussain action figurines. <laughs> Although if you do want one, there's only 499 left. So get in quick. I bought the first one. This is a podcast about saying no to all the stuff the world convinces us we need to buy to be happy and helping you save a ton on things like phones, cars, eating out and clothes. So join me for Frugal by The Pineapple Project. Get richer now and get it on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. 